Welcome in to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. Hope everyone had a great Christmas yesterday, my favorite holiday of the year. And of course, we're not going to skip out on a podcast just because it was Christmas Christmas yesterday. Today's Monday. It's a new day, and we're excited to, to keep the ball rolling, continue to keep learning, growing, impacting more players. So hope, hope everyone's in all seriousness, did have a great Christmas, but excited to get back after it today. On today's episode, we have Ryan Brownlee. Ryan currently works for ABCA, which is the American Baseball Coaches Association, but he's a former college coach. So he's he's coached college baseball for over 20 years previously at the Division I level. He's been a head coach. He's been a recruiting coordinator. His dad coached college baseball. So his dad actually coached Ryan when he was at Evansville. So pretty cool dynamic there. But he brings some really great content to this conversation. One of the things that I really like that he, he that Ryan talked about in this episode is he talked about how he uh, he helps college baseball players manage their time, and he has a, a great system that he used when he was a, a coach, and he talks about that in this episode. I think it's very beneficial and valuable for players at at any level um, to to listen to the system that he has. So one of the things that, that I'm starting to do and, and I've been ramping up over the past few weeks is I am now taking on players and families to help help guide them in the recruiting process. It's something that I've been doing for the last several years, but I'm now ramping it up and opening it up to to more people. So if you're someone who is is, you know, high school, probably tw- 2024 grad or 2025 grad, uh, reach out to me if you need help on the college recruiting side. I see so many people go down the, 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 wrong, the wrong way on this thing, and they, they, they go to so many camps that are unnecessary. They go to so many showcases and tournaments, and, and just it's gotten crazy. So I, I feel that I need to help start helping more players in the recruiting process, which is going to save so much time and money to, to all the families out there. So if you need help in the recruiting process and you're in the 2024 or 2025 class, Send me an email, jonesbaseballtraining at gmail.com, and I'll see if you know you, you would be a good fit for the program because I'm, I can't just take anybody. It's, it's someone who, who has to be a good fit. So e- email me if you're interested, jonesbaseballtraining at gmail.com. All right, here is now my episode with Ryan Brownlee. All right, we now welcome on Ryan Brownlee. Ryan, appreciate you coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Patrick. Appreciate so, it. So, so you said, uh, you know, you've been co- you've coached for what twenty two years now. You have a, a you said I think you said uh, one of the most unique positions in all of baseball, where you're able to impact the game at, at so many levels. Why do you Why do you like the role that you're currently in? Because you feel like you're impacting the game from from pro on down to moms and dads that are having to coach the first time and with the amount of traveling that I do for my job and with the podcast and just all the other things you just feel like you you have your hand uh in a little bit of everything and that's kind of how I am as a human being too I I like a lot of different things so this job suits me well because you're doing a bunch of different things and I get bored extremely easy. So, um, you know, it just 
feel like you're in a lot of different things. And, and I loved coaching. I grew up around it. You know, my dad was a longtime coach. We, he started coaching Evansville in 1979 when I was five years old. So I have a long history in the game. Um, and I feel like it's, it's, I'm just, it's a unique situation, which is gratifying. What was it like playing for your dad? So hard. Well, dad, not as much my brother, um, my brother was the harder one to play for because played we played for your brother part. Yeah. Yep. Um, we played one time together. I, I always had to play a grade up, um, an age up. I was old for my grades. So in little league, uh, the cutoff date was, was where I could actually play with my brother. We played one time. He was 12. I was nine. We fought that whole, he caught, I caught, he pitched, we would fight. Like we fought all the time growing up, but that carried over to, to college then, you know, the, the hard thing with, with a brother is, you know, you know, all their BS and you have the same peer group and he played for my dad before I got there. And so there just was a long history there. And, but looking back now, it was probably the best thing that happened to me that my brother was on that staff because I didn't need somebody to pat me on the back. I needed somebody to keep pushing me. I, I think I, I get complacent. So I needed someone to push my buttons and my brother knew how to push my buttons and probably not great for my dad. Cause he's, he's trying to manage a team. And then you got two siblings that are, are nose to nose during practice and games sometimes. So it, it wasn't as hard playing for my dad because I think my brother probably took some of the load off of, of my dad, but yeah, there there's, I, you know, for anybody that, uh, out there that's thinking I know you do college recruiting stuff anybody that's thinking about going to college or playing in college for you know parent or or a son it is or daughter it is not going to be easy and my freshman fall you know division one back then you could play 20 games so we'd play 20 games USI was division two really good division two program in Evansville but we all grew up playing against each other so it was like a seven game series it's like the world series we played at USI I had a terrible game. I looked like I forgot how to play baseball my freshman fall. Was was awful. And made a bunch of airs, struck out, and we had this blue cargo van that we would drive the equipment in, and USI is about 15 minutes away. So we're driving back. I wasn't smart enough to figure out when to get away from my dad on things. So I'm sitting on a ball bucket in the back. There's no seats in this cargo van. So I'm sitting on a ball bucket. My dad's driving. He looks back. He goes, Hey, do you have that number for Denison college? I had looked at Denison. That was one of my last schools. I said, no, why? He goes, well, you're going to have to be there. You have to go there at the break. If you don't start playing better. <laughs> <laughs> and, but again, they, they knew how to push my buttons and I, you know, I didn't need somebody to be like, Hey, it's okay. I need somebody to be like, Hey, you need to get better. Or, you know, you're never going to see the field or you're not going to be here anymore. So I worked extremely hard that off season. Um, I was just really undersized. I, I showed up at 142 pounds in college. So I was undersized and I needed help in the weight room. Uh, but luckily our strength coach at Evansville uh, was phenomenal. Uh, his nickname was bulldog. So got a lot stronger in the weight room and I put on about 40 pounds in three years um, from freshman year to junior year. What advice would you give to uh, coaches out there who are, who are coaching their kids on their, on their own team, right? And I'm sure that's gotta be tough because then you got all the other kids and what are they thinking or saying if, if, if their own kid gets to play, like what advice would you give them? I think it depends on the level that you're at. 
that was part of the reason I did the father and son series um, during COVID was we have a lot of, you know, father, son duos out there and even, even multiple sons. So I did want to shed some light on how difficult that can be, but I think it really depends on the level. If you're a mom or dad coaching your kid for the first time in little league and you want them to play shortstop and pitch, then let them go do it because you're investing your time into, to coach the team. Now, as you get into high school, then I think that that changes a little bit. And then obviously at college, it's about wins and losses. And I think you, they either need to be your best player or never get on the field. Because if there's that, you know, where they're side by side with somebody else, there's always going to be some of that politics. So if they're your best player, I think everybody's going to be able to see that. Or if they're not good enough to get on the field, I think that's probably where it needs to be. <laughs> Either be the best or the worst. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it. It's just part of, I think it makes things easier because, you know, like I said, they're, they're it, it, not that you're meaning it to be political, but you know how human beings are. They're going to take, oh, yeah. take it to a place that probably shouldn't go. For sure. For sure. What, what are your, what are your thoughts? And I know because of, of, you know, your role at ABCA, you guys are kind of in the middle and know everything that's going on. Uh, the whole, the transfer portal, the NIL, uh, do you think that's good for the game? I think it was necessary. I think from the NCAA's perspective, I think they felt like it was necessary and something that that needed to be done. I, I don't always agree with what the NCAA does, but they don't have any coaches in that office either. So they, they, they come from a lawyer perspective, a business perspective, and Anytime somebody starts throwing lawsuits around, they're going to make a change on something. Um, I think you just saw it too. The the volunteer coaches are they have a class action lawsuit right now against the NCAA because which needed to be done. I mean that that position needs to go away, and I think we're going to get that done. Um, but it's just where we're at right now. Um, you know, there there's programs out there that are making it work on on both of those. Uh, I just. I think we're losing opportunities for people to have uncomfortable conversations with the transfer portal. I, I wish that they still had to talk to the coach. Uh, you know, now they don't even have to talk to the coach. They can go to compliance. Hey, I want to go in the portal and you're losing multiple conversations there. One, uh, a kid for the, maybe the first time has to go talk to an adult about leaving, but also from the coach's perspective, coaches need to hear why players leave at times too, because maybe that's something they can fix. Mm. Um, you know, not every situation is going to be the right fit for every kid. And I think you you're losing some of that growth opportunity for a coach too, that maybe, you know, I was, I didn't feel like I was handled right, or this wasn't going well, you know, any, multiple things why kids leave. Uh, and then, you know, where we're at with the recruiting piece and how early kids can get recruited, that that's the other thing that needs to change. I think once once the process starts later for kids, um, they usually end up staying where they're at. And and that's for any parents or kids listening in. Wait, if, if you can wait longer, you have a better opportunity of doing more research on the schools that you're going to, but then figuring out how good you might be. Because if you just saw me play as a junior in high school, you would have been like that kid probably shouldn't even try to entertain going to play college baseball. Um, so I just think it works on both both of those. But the, the main thing now is kids are not having enough time to research the schools that go, they're going to. The visits have basically gone away. 
I took five visits um, coming out of high school, and that's why it made my decision hard. Uh, I didn't decide to go to Evansville till after I graduated from high school because I really liked the the five schools that were the last. And I don't know if I did it right, but I was invested in my college decision because my freshman year of high school, I opened the college catalog and I picked like 250 schools that sounded good <laughs> and then whittled it down to 50 my sophomore year. And this was just academic based. It wasn't like I said, I didn't know if I was going to be able if I was good enough to play college baseball because I had been around it. So I saw how good college baseball players were. Right. I just didn't know if I was good enough. And that 50 went to five. And then I did got a chance to visit all five. I was going to go to a smaller school. I wanted a smaller education. I had had friends that went to larger institutions and had visited and I knew I was going to get eaten alive at a big school from, from a social and academic standpoint. Yeah, that's a, that's a good good point you just brought up there. Don't you think it's – I mean, it sounds like you're a pretty self-aware person, and maybe that's because, you know, you, you grew up around the game, so you're able to be around college baseball a decent amount. It, it's it got to be hard for a lot of kids to to really know, like, do they want a big school? Do they want a small school? And they've, they've never been to college or really been around, you know, any been around anybody who's been in college recently either. I would – chances are you have a college close to you. I mean, right. the, the likelihood in the United States, there are going to be multiple levels and sizes of schools close to you. Go visit that campus and take the academic tour. Go take the campus tour with the academic people, the admissions people. My mom was an admissions counselor forever at, at community college, and she ran a prep school in Evansville. You know, both my parents are educators, but that's a huge key for me. I, I, I don't think it's necessarily the baseball side that gets the kids. It's the social and the academic side. Um, if you're going to go play college athletics at any level, at, at any sport, it's going to take a lot of your time but you're going to have a lot of time away from it too. So if you don't pick the, the school for the right reason, socially and academically, you're going to be miserable when you go back, back to your dorms too. And I think that's why we see a lot of kids leave places. Now it's not the, it's not the on the field thing. It's mm. what it is going on away from the field. I, I actually didn't know that the, the kids don't even have to talk to the coach yeah. to, to go in the transfer portal. That's crazy. Yep. 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 We're losing so many growth opportunities with that that they don't have to have an uncomfortable conversation with the coach. Wow. Do you think the NIL is ever going to change or, or go away? Or do you think they're both here? I just saw out? an article yesterday. Um, schools talking about how much of a financial crunch it's going to be. You're not creating new money, right? You know, that, that wasn't a thing. It wasn't like NIL is going to be here and now, we're going to have millions of dollars that are coming, come out of thin air. It's not going to be that way. So that money is now boosters, maybe instead of donating for facilities, it's going to players. There's going to be a financial crunch on that. So I, I don't think it ever goes away, but again, the NCAA made a mistake on that because they didn't legislate any of that. You know, it's not supposed to be meant for recruiting purposes. It's mm. supposed to be meant for rewarding the the players that you have on your campus and but this has been college athletics forever coaches and and schools are going to find workarounds so if there's no legislation on it then it's the wild wild west which is what we're seeing right now it's the right wild wild west. right ryan if you had a son right now in the recruiting process uh at what grade would you recommend to him that he he should commit to a school like how late should he wait mm. 
you know, every, there's so many great, there's so much gray area with that mm -hmm. because there, there's an eighth grader out there that's committed to a, a program and not just baseball in any sport. It happens a lot in female sports too, that it worked out where they went to their school and, and it worked out and they stayed there three or four years, graduated. Um, so there, there's so much gray area with that. Um, but I know what worked for me personally was to wait longer, mm -hmm. um, but you can go to a, a PG national or, you know, PBR event, you know, the higher events and you can pick out kids that are probably going to be okay in college. Um, right. It doesn't always work out that way, but I, that's, that's a case by case basis. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's the, I think that's the hard part as a parent that there's no blueprint for any of that because what worked for your neighbor's kid may not work for your kid individually. So I think that's more of a family case to case basis where, okay, this is where our child is at. This is where we think they might end up. But again, it's, it's educating your child on what the process actually means and playing college athletics is not for everyone. Right. And I, oh, yeah. I think that's something that we don't talk about enough is that, going to play college athletics isn't for everybody. And if it's going to make you miserable and you don't enjoy it, don't just don't do it. Right. You know, that's easier said than done. And, and some of it now is an ego thing with parents. Um, you know, I have a 19 year old. He goes to school in Asheville. He's a regular student and enjoys being a regular student. I have a daughter who's a senior in high school. She's not gonna be a college athlete. She'll be a, a regular student. And, and that was their choice. And that will be the best thing for them. Now, I, I would go back and do what I did all over again. I needed college athletics to be a good student. Uh, I, I needed college athletics. I needed that motivation to to keep me in the classroom and I would end up being an academic all American, but I don't think my grades would have awesome. been as good. I don't think my grades would have been as good if I didn't play sports. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Do you think that's just, that's because it, it made you focus because you knew you only had so much time to study. Forced, forced time management, mm. you know, and, and doing it for 22 years, that's really the separator from the ones that are really successful and elite in the classroom, elite on the field is their time management skills are better than than kids that don't have good time management skills. And so, that was the first place we would start in the classroom. I so, that's so, how important I felt it was. That's so, the first place we started with our players was time management. Okay, I'm glad you brought that up because someone reached out and asked a question about uh, any any way to recommend time management to kids. Like, how do you how would you go about helping them with that? We started, this is how we set it up. So we would print out the monthly template. So, you know, the, the fall. So it would be August, September, October, November, December. They would have to bring all of their syllabi in from their classes. And then we would have all of our baseball related stuff. And so they would have to go through month by month and write everything in, handwrite it in. And then we would give them a, a weekly time management planner with an Excel spreadsheet. And, and I really liked the weekly portion because it wasn't just time management. Uh, we had the 10 rules of recovery. So they would have a checklist of 10 things they were trying to get done every day, you know, eight hours of sleep, protein with every meal, eating every two to three hours, uh, post-workout stretch, uh, post-workout protein, uh, where we felt like if they could do all, you know, even if they got eight of those 10 in, they were going to be healthier, mentally healthier and physically healthier, but, but then they were going to feel better about th their week. And so they would have to turn that in on Sundays. So that was there for their next week. Mm. So we, we talked a lot about using Sunday productively to set up your next week. 
Um, and then there was some peak performance stuff, you know, weekly goal setting with it. You know, what are you trying to get accomplished this week? What were some of your obstacles for last week? Uh, and then we had some peak performance stuff on the on the back end, it, more for practice and, and inner, inner squads and how they felt their week went. I, I think that's where people get sidetracked and athletes get sidetracked is they don't track a lot of that stuff. So they, they ride that roller coaster up and down. And the more that you can write, you know, how your routine was, how much sleep you got, all of that stuff, then, hey, I could go back to that. Hey, I had a great week you know, September 15th, I had a great week. Okay. Has my routine changed in any way? Um, I just think it opened up lines of communication with themselves. You talk about self-evaluation, they're able to evaluate themselves, but then it allowed us to have conversations with them because one kid might be late turning it in. And and that's a red flag. If a kid can't even get his time management, you know, he's not planning his week. Mm. So it kind of helped you eliminate some of those pitfalls that, that they might fall into um, just by a simple thing like that, having them turn the planner in. So, you... and, and I like that. I like the handwritten piece of it too. You know, you remember that you're three times more likely to remember something if you write it down. Right. So we always wanted that first one, them to write it down and then they could plug and play on the computer after that. Okay. That's what that was. when I was going to ask you is was, was it on an Excel or was it handwritten? It's Excel. It was Excel and you have them was print it out. Yeah, they would email it to me. Okay, they'd email it to you. And then we, you know, we they all had a binder, so you know they would print that bind, they print that out for the week, and then have it, and then that way they could handwrite adjustments because your schedule is not always going to be the same. Yeah, they could handwrite adjustments, and and the other cool thing with that is we showed them like, hey, you're going to have more if you can plan your week out, you're going to have way more free time. By planning, it, it may not be your high school or junior college free time where you have two or three hours at night to yourself. That's probably not an actual thing, but you might be able to squeeze out a 45 minute window during the day that you wouldn't have had if you hadn't planned your week out. Mm, okay. I like that, man. I'm a, I think that's a great, great idea. I think, and also uh, 2012. Just- 2012 uh, presentation Anaheim I spoke on the main stage so if anybody wants to watch how we implemented that that's on the ABCA website is the 2012 Anaheim talk. awesome well we'll make sure to to link the, to that for sure yeah. um you said there was 10 things on it I can pull it up this is one of the uh I don't do a ton of speaking engagements but I do like getting out um but I mean, I think this is just have a hard personal, time. personal and player development. That's why I think it's, it's really good. Both. And right, so my, right. my talk is now directed towards coaches, but it is a lot of things that we used with our players. And I used as a player personally that I've now carried into as an adult that I feel like helped me. And we're all going to fall off the path at some point. And, and that's just human nature. You're not gonna be perfect every day. It just doesn't work. You're, you're hardly ever going to be perfect. But I think if you have some of these skills built in to what you're doing way easier to yank yourself back when you need to, um, here, hold on. Yeah. So like it's got sleep habit, it's got nutrition, strength training, meditation. I'm a huge meditator. Um, Love it. so, uh, and that's evolved over time too. I started as a player with progressive muscle relaxation techniques had an audio that I still have a cassette. It's funny. The cassettes in that presentation. So I'm like, Hey, you young, you young coaches in here who don't know what that is. That's an audio cassette tape. 
and that cassette tape uh, turned into a CD. Uh, our audio visual company at, at Iowa would turn it into a CD for me that I'd give to our players, and then it turned into an MP3. So, ten eight hours of sleep, uh, eat breakfast, uh, eat every two to three hours, eat protein with every meal, uh, consume a post workout shake, drink a gallon of water. Water for me is a huge one. Uh, avoid high proce- high fat processed foods. So stay away from fast food. Uh, avoid simple sugars, uh, Coke. Um, and then eat, try to eat five to nine servings of fruits of vegetables every day. And then post-workout stretch. Awesome. So, you know, like I said, if we, we felt like if they could do all 10 of those every day, they were going to be in a really good, really good shape. And, and, and that, you know that you kids show up on campus for the first time, they're going to get sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, happens mono didn't happen a lot, but mono is a thing for college freshmen they're in the dorms meningitis is a thing they're in the dorms you know th- those are all real things that happen so it felt like if, if you could do all 10 of these you're gonna be in good shape and we had great examples of of really good players that were diligent you know justin tool who's with the mariners now he's a great example of a kid that was really diligent did everything almost to a fault that you wanted him to do um brutal freshman year he had like two hits and like 28 at bats his freshman year but same thing had a come to Jesus moment with himself and worked his tail off that summer and came back. He was a completely different person and player in sophomore, junior and senior year was all region for three years and gets signed by the Indians and was on the big league staff with the Indians last couple of years. And so we, we had good examples of, of guys and, and you have the opposite. You have examples of guys that didn't invest in any of this and mm-hmm didn't get to their potential and didn't reach their potential. I think that'd be something that'd be really beneficial for high school kids too. I mean, just because of how their body's growing and how they're, you know, trying to get recruited and everything. I think something like, like what you put together is a great idea for them. Well, you know, dress for the job that you want, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and if you're a high school player that wants to play in college, you need to find out what college athletes are actually doing and start trying to do some of that now. So you're more prepared when you step on a college campus, the culture shock piece is real for, for kids when they step on a college campus. So email coaches, Hey, what do your players do on a weekly basis? Like what is their time management? What were their time? You know, how much are they working out? How much are they eating? Like those are all, inexpensive experience things that you can can head things off at the past if you just ask and reach out awesome i think that's great stuff ryan what what's what are some of the things that that you see coaches at maybe younger levels uh need to improve upon so that our game continues to grow practice planning practice planning planning practice planning is the big one we had a youth summit in washington dc rob honey is our youth committee chair. He's out in Northern Virginia, but he has his hand in college on down to youth baseball in that area. And and that's a big one. This is why we're losing kids, especially when they go to the big field. We, we have 4 million youth baseball players. When it gets to the big field, it goes to 2 million. Whoa. So yes. Yeah. So you think about participation, you know, even if you could cut that to, to half, and you have a million more kids playing baseball on the big field that grows everything from the bottom up. But, um, you know, a I million, didn't coach my son, two million, two million. Um, yeah, I didn't coach my son at all growing up. I just didn't 
I, I one, I didn't have time with the amount of recruiting, but I would help the first two weeks of their practice. So I have multiple, anybody that wants youth practice planning templates, email me. Um, it's rbrownlee at abca.org. Um, I'll send it to you, but it's 90 minutes, but it's five minutes and move on to something else. Uh, this was a good, somebody said the other day, with the age range of kids that you're dealing with, the amount, the length of activity needs to be minutes of their age. So if you're dealing with five-year-olds, it needs to be five minutes and move on to something else. If you're mm. dealing with six-year-olds, six minutes, move on to something else. So that 90-minute practice plan, there's about 20 different things that are in there. And only one, you only need one coach for that practice plan that I have. And it keeps it moving. I, th I think kids get bored. You know, you see a lot of standing around. The, that practice plan, there's zero standing around. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you think that the best coaches should be at the lower levels? Yes, that's where we need. That's where we need our best coaches, and we have great ones. You know, yeah, I, no, yeah. I think everybody, everybody wants to pick out like a negative. You know that that's just how our brain wiring works. Yeah, we're gonna pick out negative things and and attract to that because it's a safety issue for our brain. Our brain is continually trying to keep us safe, mm -hmm. so your brain is gonna scan for negative in your space to try to get away from it. So like we're predisposed to seeing negative things. So that, yes, that that's our most important coaches and, and not, not for player development as much as long-term athlete development or, you know, if you're a youth coach, you want them to try to play again next year, mm -hmm. but have a good organized practice plan with a, a great dynamic warm up. Um, you know, I, it's crazy to me to, to walk by youth field and, and there's not any semblance of a, of a warm up at all. You're losing valuable, you know, micro dosing opportunities to help them become better athletes, stay healthier, but then have a great experience in whatever sport they're playing that maybe at some point they want to give back. Because think about that. You, you lose those 2 million kids you're losing an opportunity for 2 million coaches for 2 million parents that give, get their kids involved with baseball. You're losing so much with that, where if you treat it right as a youth coach and, and really make it enjoyable and create a, a phenomenal learning environment and an environment where they feel like they're improving and developing mastery. Uh, but that that's one of our huge emph emphasis here with ABCA is helping youth baseball just because we have so many coaches and we have the right coaches where I think we can, can develop some curriculum um, to help that space with, with people that are trying to do it for the first time. What do you, what are your guys' thoughts on travel baseball? When should kids start playing travel baseball and just that whole process? Like, is there, is there a certain age that from what you've seen as a college coach and now your new role that you're like, Hey, I think, this would be a good age for kids. And, and before that, just let's just focus on the developing the athleticism. I think the best leagues now are blending both. Um, I think everyone agrees that house baseball is still extremely important. That's going to be the first entry level that, that anybody has. So we need to find cost effective ways to allow everyone to participate in the game. That's male and female. Let everybody have a chance to participate and then as they get into it, the best ones, like I said, are blending it. So they have a mix of, of in-house stuff during the week, and then they'll allow some travel stuff on the weekends. Um, I just think that's the best portion. But we're getting away from what it actually should be. Uh, 
in youth sports and any youth sports, they should be practicing three times as much as they're playing. Mm. And, and we're the exact opposite now. Baseball is flipped. We are, we are backwards with baseball now. They are playing three times as much as they are practicing. And really for them to be able to develop skills, it's going to be in the, in the practice portion of it. Um, because as we all know that in competition, it's, it's impossible, almost impossible for a kid that age to make any sort of an adjustment in a competitive environment. So you have to have the training component is way more important than the competitive component with so, young kids. And I'm talking like six to six to nine year olds practice three times as much as, as much playing. as you play. Okay. So if you're, you know, and the, the little league model when I was growing up was right. We played two days a week and we practiced the rest of the week. We were playing like on a Wednesday and a Saturday and we were practicing the rest of the week. Mm. So when just, do you think kids sh- should be able to start traveling around to all these to different states and all that? I mean, is that not till 15, 16, 17? For me personally, yes. One, one from a cost saving standpoint where we're asking a lot of parents from a financial burden right now. So again, I I think it's more from a cost and kids getting burned out, but you know, again, everybody likes an event, but you know, you, you can create that even at the younger ages where you play all year and then, okay, the last, the last week, let's go somewhere and play. I I don't think you have to do that every weekend. Yeah. It's not, it's not necessary. you got plenty of opportunities in within a 10 mile radius where you're at, where you can play enough. And then if you want to take one trip at the end of the year, go ahead and do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's, it's gotten crazy for sure with all the rankings and everything. And I know since you've been a head coach and a recruiting coordinator, what are, what are some of the things that, that you would be looking for when you're out recruiting players? And obviously the easy stuff is, Oh, he throws 95. I mean, obviously you like that, but I'm sure that there's, you know, deeper things that you're specifically looking for before you offer a kid to want to come and play for you? I was out a lot. Um, yeah, I got out at the right time. Spring of 19 was the the last spring I coached and then COVID hit. And so that would have been really hard on me as a recruiter to not be able to go to the ballpark and watch because I needed to, to be at the ballpark. I need to be there early to watch how kids actually warmed up and how they handled with their teammates and, you know, were they standing around, were they active? Um, and then, I spent more time on the side. This was from when I was a young coach, just getting into it, spending time with with guys that had scouted for a long time, guys that had coached for a long time, and and really trying to learn from them what they were doing. I liked watching from the side way more than from behind home plate. I would sneak back behind home plate to get radar gun readings. Uh, usually my eyes were, were pretty close to what it was going to be. There's a lot more chatter behind home plate too. So it's a little bit more distracting, but I liked going to the side to watch how kids arms worked on the mound, how their body moved on the mound. And then with hitters, how, how their, their swing hands worked, how their body movement was, what they looked like. And then way easier to see defensive stuff too, with the outfielders and the infielders and catchers throwing too. So I just, I was big on arm action. Um, you know, hitters and, and pitchers, uh, I just liked looking at a clean arm action didn't always mean that, that it was going to have success, but, but more apt to have success, uh, less injuries that way. Uh, and, and you can say, Hey, a kid's throwing 95, not all 95 is the same, not, not a 95 with a lot of effort and a lot of funk in that arm. 
mm. uh, is different than that's something that is efficient and clean and comes out and maybe doesn't look 95 as it's come out, but still 95. Right. Um, we didn't get the top end of the top end kids at the schools I was at. So it was all about development. And so uh, what, what I looked at was probably different than what some other coaches looked at. I, I was looking at not what they looked like right now, but what I felt like they were going to look like two, three years from now. And, you know, you get hammered now for saying this, but if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, I, because I'd watched so many games and seen so many players, there were things that from an imprinting standpoint that, okay, this hitter looked reminded me of this Mm -hmm. guy or this pitcher reminded me of someone. And luckily we had a lot of success taking 84 to 87 or 84, even 83 to 84 mile an hour left-handers and and 84 to 86 mile an hour right-handers that were bigger body kids whose arms worked that ended up being low to mid nineties at some point with command. Wow. Um, I know you get crucified for that now, but I, I, I had a hard time recruiting pitchers that didn't have a feel for a little bit of commanding the zone, but also being able to throw a secondary pitch for a strike. That was a big separator for me. If they could spin a breaking ball, um, regardless of, of what it had to be within range velocity wise, but if their arm worked and they could spin a breaking ball, I was probably going to be all in on it. Mm, I like that. What What's something that if you saw, you were immediately turned off when you're watching? Oh, man. Um, not in there went a lot like because I because I watched kids. If I liked a kid, I was going to go back and, and watch them. Um, some body body language things, how they interacted with their teammates Again, if all things are the same and they have to have talent, they do like they have to have some ability. But if all those things are the same, if you're going to take one over the other, then you're going to take the the one that's handling it. What you felt like is the best. That's not always the case. And there's some outliers with that. Um, you know, that there's been kids, you know, that that maybe didn't always act right. And some of that's an education piece. Maybe they've never been told that. So I, I didn't want to completely discount a kid because maybe he's never been told that. Right. So, and, and again, like, I just don't think you can, you can't just say like every kid's going to handle every situation. Right. Because maybe they just have never heard it before. So that, that those are some communication and talking points too. How many times would you see a kid before you, uh, you were in on them? Maybe just a hitter. Cause it's a little bit, a little bit harder than, than pitching. If they could run and throw, um, then I was going to stay with them for a while. Really? And if, if their hand, if they had some bat speed, um, you know, hitting, when you, when you hitting say is, stay with them, I think for hitting, hitting is the hardest thing to project. Right. If you talk to any upper level recruiting coordinator, scouts, pro scouts don't get it right. Not every first rounder oh, yeah. makes it to the big leagues. So, you know, the hitting piece and, and are they going to hit at a high level at the next level? I don't think anybody can tell you for sure if that's going to happen. Right. Because there's been some kids out there that everybody thought was no brainers that never made it. And then there's some kids out there that, that, people didn't think were very good that end up playing the big leagues for a long time. So there's a lot of outliers with that, but I was big on, on how I wanted them to be athletic position wise, because the other part of that is you don't know what position they're going to play when they get to you. I mean, you have a, you have an idea, but you you don't know for sure what your roster is going to look like by the time they show up. So they have to be athletic because 
it gives them a better opportunity to get on the field because it might be out in left field. I played left field my freshman year of college and had never played left field before right. but because I could run, got thrown out and, and could hit. I got thrown out in left field. So just in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, that might not be where they end up, but if they move okay and they can throw, you can probably plug them in somewhere. Awesome. Ryan, it's been a ton of fun, man. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. If someone wants to to get in touch with you, what what's the best way to get in contact with you? Yeah, email rbrownlee at abca.org. Um, I'm on Twitter, uh, TikTok, and Instagram. It's at CoachB underscore ABCA. Uh, or then you can direct message me the via the My ABCA app. Okay. So those are the best ways to do it. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate it. Anytime. Appreciate you, Patrick.